Welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santi and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. All right, so today we're going to have another conversation. Welcome everyone to the show. I'd like to start off today by talking about the topic of fasting, because I myself am about to be due probably a two-day fast, about 48 hours, nothing too intense or extreme. And the reason I'm doing this is because whenever I travel or I feel like um, I've been consuming food that isn't quite the healthiest, or I haven't been engaged in all of the healthy routines that help my body to really detox um, to the full extent that it should. I like to do like a little fast to kind of help things clear up. There are a lot of health benefits to fasting um, in terms of cellular autophagy, where your body essentially is able to rid itself of senescent cells, which can cause long-term harm down the road. Um, It's really good for reducing chronic inflammation. It's really good for removing toxins from the body. Um, And it's really also very good for cognitive performance as well throughout the day. I describe uh, when I'm in a fasted state as being similar to being on some sort of stimulant or caffeine. And that's because your body produces uh, a greater level of cortisol than it does throughout the day um, or than it usually would throughout the day. And it also doesn't, your body no longer relies on glucose for energy, which tends to have a very um, volatile effect throughout the day. That's why typically people will feel sort of a, a um, downturn in their energy levels in the afternoon. When you're in a fasted state, typically your body will shift. If you're metabolic, metabolically flexible, your body will shift to a more ketogenic state and you'll have that more sustained fat for your fuel source, which will allow you to remain uh, with a high level of, of steady energy throughout the day, which is one of the other benefits I really like about fasting. But I was on, I I took a work trip for a week. And even though I made healthy decisions, I still meditated every day. I still got good sleep. I didn't drink alcohol. I chose healthier options. It still wasn't the same level of food and rest and exercise that I would get when I'm in my home here in Austin. And so definitely things were kind of tweaked. I'm not feeling 100%. And I'm sure a lot of the food I ate probably had canola oil and vegetable oil oils in it, which are really, really bad for you. So I'm deciding to do this two day fast just as a way to kind of reset my body and my mind and kind of, um, speed up the process to getting back to my regular baseline level. So typically, you know, I've done some, some extended fasts in the past. The longest fast I did was five days. I find that that's a little bit too much for me, especially since I already have a pretty lean body composition. And I don't like losing too much weight when I do a five-day fast. I end up looking low-key emaciated afterwards. And I just don't I just don't like it's it's kind of an ego thing to be honest, but I just don't like um the way I look. And honestly, I don't like having um I lose a significant amount of muscle too when I do a five-day fast. And so I don't like that aspect of it either. And it's just a little too intense. And I don't think it's necessary at this point. But like a, a, anywhere from one to three days, I find to be a good threshold for myself. And so I'm looking forward to this fast for obviously the physical benefits that I just mentioned. Obviously, uh, people like Peter Atia and other experts can talk about many more benefits, Andrew Huberman and so forth. There there are more experts that can go into greater depth, but I mentioned some of the main physical benefits. But of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention some of the spiritual benefits of fasting, of which, in my opinion, there are many. If you look at any form of organized major religion, there is some element of fasting um, that is tied in as a practice or a sacrament or a observance of people who follow the religion. Um, A lot of people on a spiritual path will engage in fasting because it really tests the mind. It tests your level of presence and consciousness to be able to go an extended period of time without eating food. And this practice of self-restraint tends to help us become more resilient, conscious versions of ourselves. And I have also found can lead to certain states of expanded consciousness. Um, I've had some profound experiences while doing extended fasts. And one of these experiences, I 
was literally just in my apartment. I was doing a two day fast so nothing too crazy, similar to what I'm going to be doing um, after tonight. And during this time, I was also practicing retention, which I'm also doing now. So I'm on a celibate path at the moment. And during this experience, I felt this flood of euphoria rise through my body. I was completely sober, wasn't taking any exogenous substances or drugs, and I wasn't doing anything super stimulating. I was just in my apartment. It was like a night, uh, an evening, and I was by myself, just super low key. And experienced this wave of euphoria start to rush through me. And I was able to have a, a pretty profound experience where I was able to release a lot of emotions and process some trauma from my past. Um, and, and it ended with like a, a good release where I cried. And it was this whole experience that I've had. And I've had a few of these happen. Um, or I shouldn't say a few. I've had many of these happen, but I've had a few of these happen without the use of any sort of um, either either psychedelic or drug or without engaging in an intense practice like breath work, for example. I've had some releases doing some pretty intense activated breath work. I wasn't doing that in this situation. So I think that fasting is another avenue through which we can um, align ourselves spiritually with our higher selves and with um, a source and a presence that is much greater than ourselves. And I think that's why so many people on spiritual paths and as part of religions engage in fasting, um, I'm reading, I mentioned this on the last episode, but I'm reading uh, the autobiography of Gandhi, and he was a big advocate of fasting and other forms of self-restraint. And he said that these practices helped him to, I guess, quote unquote, know God better or to deepen his faith and deepen his practice and helped him to basically just, just be more um, vigorous in his approach towards uh, understanding God and understanding the universe and also cultivating a greater level of self-awareness. So some of this stuff might sound woo-woo. You might think, well, why would fasting do any of these things? I don't really know what mechanism is going on here, but I think that when you go away, anytime that you deny your body um, of, of physical pleasure, every, anytime you um, deny yourself that immediate gratification, that short-term pleasure, that short-term hit of dopamine, and you're able to do that repeatedly over an extended period of time, there is a reward on that other side. And I think one of those bigger rewards is, is the ability to kind of access these expanded states of consciousness. Um, you just have to be willing to push through and persevere through the discomfort of not eating food for a long time or of not doing something that's pleasurable in the moment. And typically there, there's this trade-off. You can either choose the short-term pleasure, whether it's, I want to drink alcohol, I want to eat really tasty food, I want to, you know, watch Netflix. And I'm not saying anything, any of these things are inherently bad, but the trade-off is, is typically that these activities kind of constrict our consciousness and prevent us from accessing something greater than ourselves. And it prevents us from having these mystical experiences and these more profound spiritual experiences. So if you're really dedicated to this path and wanting to have a mystical experience or wanting to um, discover your purpose or wanting to um, deepen your faith or gain more insights into the spiritual realm of life, it's by practicing self-restraint, self-discipline and denying yourself of these typical creature comforts that we usually engage with that allow us to access that. So Mike, what are your thoughts on fasting, self-restraint, self-discipline, and so forth and so on. I love all of that. I'm currently an experienced faster, but I want to quickly go over the benefits. I'm not going to go into detail. I'm going to kind of like recap what you said. Uh, the benefits of fasting are weight management, improved insulin sensitivity, uh, autophagy, which is, you know, cellular repair and getting rid of some of the dead cells, reduced inflammation, brain health and cognitive function, and longevity, there's no reason why we shouldn't be fasting. I think the main reason why I began fasting, and by the way, I'm not saying that just because there's all these benefits for fasting that you should do that. Please consult your doctor if you're if you're listening and thinking about fasting because, for example, my parents, they do have type 2 diabetes. They cannot fast. They Their, their doctor told them not to, although I, I do argue that they should try because – it might actually improve that insulin sensitivity and might actually cure them of that and, re and reduce inflammation associated with all of that. But some people just can't fast. Some people actually feel more productive if they can have more food throughout the day, all the power to you. If that is what your body and 
what is what feels good for you and allows you to be more productive. But I started fasting mainly because when I was working my office job, I would have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'd have three meals a day. My breakfast would generally be early in the morning at 8 a.m. And I would experience a, a crash shortly after eating. It would generally be like an, around an hour, probably when my food starts to digest. Um, usually when the glucose gets used up and it's like that contrast of like, you know, you use all this glucose, you have the spike in energy, and then you have a, a big down spike in energy. And I was tired of getting this down spike in energy, having to rely on caffeine to get me through so I don't fall asleep in my desk chair. And this is, I was even exercising during this time too. So I was just like, what is going on? Um, so I was researching and I found fasting. So then it was very difficult for me to transition to not eating until around 2 p.m. But as soon as I did that, I literally never, I have not taken a nap in probably three years. The only, the only time I've needed to take a nap is if I didn't get sleep, like, like basically any sleep prior. But if I get a full seven hours of sleep, and I fast until 2 p.m., I do not need to nap. It's just never happened. Um, it's only happened when I decide to eat early in the morning. So that's for me, that was a lifesaver. It took me about four to five months to get used to not eating. It was very difficult. It was very uncomfortable, but I'm really glad I pushed through it because now I've been doing this for about four or five years. And it's probably the one thing I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. I have no desire to eat in the morning unless it's a very special occasion. Um, and just recently, I've been getting into being very aware when you are eating because I know Santi and I both eat very quickly. And for some people, it's okay. Generally, I I used to eat pretty fast and it would kind of make my stomach like feel weird and make me a little bit sluggish. But now I think I've gotten more used to it. But the problem is when you eat fast, you don't really allow your stomach to settle and your eyes become bigger than your stomach and you might actually end up binging. This has happened to me multiple times. And it's very, it's very good. Like, you know, if you, if you have a certain amount of food on your plate and you finish it and you're still hungry to just like be aware of it and feel that feeling and ground yourself. We'll talk about more about grounding later. And just wait. Just wait to see if in five or 10 minutes after you just ate this meal, if you're actually going to be hungry again. Because I think a lot of what a lot of people complain about with fasting is, is this problem with binging. Um, I definitely have run into the, these problems many times. And it's just because we eat so fast, because we're so hungry and it tastes so good, because we are depriving ourselves, that we we just want more in that moment that even more immediate gratification. And it kind of makes it even harder when you're fasting. Fasting is a very, is, is it's a discipline. It's not easy to do um, for good reason, but like the benefits are, I mean, we, we listed them and, and you should take what we say with a grain of salt and go do your own research. But there's, there's many, there's a lot of research on the benefits of fasting. And I highly recommend anyone listening to this. If you aren't to try to, at least, you know, give it a few months and see if your body can get used to it. And obviously ask your doctor. But um, yeah, so I would say for me, what did it though, is sometimes if I eat too many carbs, when I do break my fast around 2pm, because I, I used to have this fruit, uh, I, I basically used to have like a, a fruit and spinach smoothie with like a bunch of um, different like protein powders and stuff like that, all like organic and whatnot. And it was great. And I would take like a bunch of like different, different vitamins. But the problem is I had, there's too much fruit in there, too many carbs. It generally caused me to crash around like three 30 or something like that. So I started introducing less carbs into my lunch and, and more carbs into my dinner. Because for me, if I don't eat, um, carbs before I go to sleep, it's actually harder for me to sleep for whatever reason. Um, so I generally eat most of my carbs right at dinner because I'm usually like winding down anyway. Um, and like, I've already been like the most productive in my day. The most productive of my day is usually after my morning routine. 
Um, so I would say that if you, even if you are crashing after you're fasting to eat less carbs for that first meal and to eat most of your carbs at dinner. And that's just my opinion when it comes to fasting, but also extended fasting. I've only done one. I think unintentionally I've done two, uh, one other one. We were actually on a trip coming back from Thailand when I did a 48 hour fast, actually that was difficult, but for the for the three day fast that I did, I worked out every day, uh, and that was a mistake. I highly suggest if anyone's doing a three day fast or an extended fast, to do a light workout on the first day, but for the the days thereafter, to do some like Yin Yoga or some deep stretches to to heal your fascia a little bit, and it, it feels great, you know, like. It's one of those things where it's difficult, but it doesn't require a lot of calorie burn. I mean, it actually, yin yoga does burn calories, but it doesn't feel like that. So it doesn't really drain you as much. And it feels amazing and just like a lot less intensive. So for me, if I were to do it over again, I would not work out every day on an extended fast because it really drains your body. And it'll it'll make the fast way more unbearable if you are working out besides on the first day. Or even if you're doing like a light workout, like walking, you can walk. Walking is encouraged on on a fast. It, it really helps. Um, but yeah, I would just not do anything crazy with that. Just really take care of your body. Um, I know Santi um, and I both have used electrolytes to make sure that we we don't crash and that we don't feel like shit on – I mean, to be honest, even with the electrolytes, when I was working out, I still didn't feel good. Maybe that's because I wasn't replacing that many electrolytes. I don't know. I'm really glad I did the three-day fast, but yeah, it's it's not for the faint-hearted. And I would suggest people to, if you are thinking about doing an extended fast, to first just do intermittent fasting for a prolonged period of time before you do something like that because it is not easy. It is It is not fun. But I think fasting has really helped with me connecting to the adversity that happened, the physical adversity that happens in my body and pushing through it, you know? So if, if you can notice hunger pangs and actively choose and to push through it, then it's going to be a lot easier to notice, you know, when you're exercising certain pain, if you're, if you're doing cardio, if there's pain in your legs or you're feeling a little bit of pain in your lungs lungs because you're working out too hard um, or maybe you're pushing through some pain maybe you had like an injury or something like that I think fasting has really helped me connect with the pain I experience in my body and be and be aware of it and push through it but it's not just about being aware of it it's also it's also grounding yourself so th- this is the next thing I want to talk about um, is so just, hold, just before just before we go into that, this is just a few more things I want to talk about um, for fasting and to elaborate on what you said, and then we'll transition over to grounding. Um, so yes, so first there is this difference between intermittent fasting and extended fasting. Where, where with an intermittent fasting, you're typically the standard protocol is a sixteen eight, where you're fasting for sixteen hours and then you have an eight hour eating window. There's obviously variation in this. Some people do a longer fast where they're fasting for 20 hours and they have a four-hour eating window. Some people are doing a shorter where they'll do a 12-hour fast with a 12-hour eating window. So there is variation here. Um, A lot of the benefits you get with intermittent fasting, you also get with an extended fast and vice versa. Um, It's just that intermittent fasting is obviously more, uh, it's an an easier endeavor relative to an extended fast. Obviously, it's less extreme extreme. And it's easier for people to integrate and implement into their life in a day-to-day routine. And it's a great way for people to start experimenting with fasting. I would recommend that if you're not doing intermittent fasting or you haven't done it before, you don't just jump into an extended fast. You probably want to warm up by getting used to doing that intermittent fasting um, in order to introduce yourself to that and then decide down the road if you want to do an extended fast. The only benefit I would say the only two major benefits I would say that you're kind of missing out on with intermittent fasting is one, there is the aspect of cellular autophagy that Mike mentioned. And I also mentioned in the beginning, which is one of the really most potent effects of an, of an extended fast where your body is able to cleanse itself of dead cells or cells that are toxic um, or might be harmful and then replenishes them and replaces them with the new and healthy cells that typically starts to take effect around the 16 hour mark of a fast. And so 
if you're breaking your fast at the 16 hour mark, you're getting a minimal, you're just, the, the autophagy is just kicking in at that point. And so you're not going to um, benefit from that process in the body as much versus an extended fast. You now have, you now have many more hours of that process going on in your body to have that effect. And then of course, the second one are some of the, the deeper sorts of spiritual experiences. Typically you're not going to experience that while doing intermittent fasting. It's probably going to come from an extended fast of two days or more. Um, so just wanted to make a note of that. And then also how you break a fast is extremely important. Um, especially if it's extended, if it's any more than 24 hours, you don't want to just, um, start gorging down a bunch of food. I talked about this on one of our episodes from a long time ago. The first time I did an extended fast, it was three days and I ate like burgers and pasta and a bunch of really unhealthy food to break the fast. And I felt absolutely terrible. Um, not going to go into the science of, of why it's really important to be careful about what, what you eat, but typically people recommend breaking an extended fast with bone broth and maybe some fruit um, and a very like, you know, if you're going to eat some fat, then it should be something like an avocado or some olives and a very small quantity of it. But you want to be have a very small meal and you want to eat slowly. And bone broth is probably the best thing you can consume um, to break a fast to make sure that you're not causing uh, a disruption in your digestion, digestive system upon this, because your body's not going to be used to digesting food after going many, many hours and, and days without eating. Also, um, with regards to, you mentioned earlier that you like eating carbs before bed. One of the, the reasons for that is typically, especially if it's like a complex carb, like sweet potatoes, for example, um, eating that at night ca causes your body to produce um, basically I'm not going to get into like the, the breakdown of it, but typically it helps you to produce, um, more 5-HTP, which then is converted into serotonin. And that serotonin at nighttime is really good in helping aid your sleep. Serotonin is actually then converted into melatonin, which if people aren't familiar is a hormone that is very beneficial for getting high quality sleep. And so eating complex carbs at night, like sweet potatoes, um, brown rice or whole other whole grains, can be beneficial in helping you to produce more melatonin ultimately, uh, which helps you sleep better um, and, and, and is a good, a good choice to actually do. It's contrary to popular belief. People would think, why would you eat carbs at night? It's going to keep you up. Actually, it's not the case. If you eat simple carbs, it might cause you to stay up. It's a little bit different, but with healthy complex carbs, it can actually be a really good choice. Also, when it comes to working out while fasted, typically, what I've found for myself and also in talking to other people is that any kind of resistance training or, or weightlifting is going to be very, very um, difficult and strenuous and probably is going to have a net negative effect because you don't, you're not going to have the protein after that workout to help rebuild the muscle. So you're going to have more of a catabolic effect on, on the muscles in your body and your ability to, to um, synthesize protein and muscle growth. So probably best to, to refrain from lifting weights or doing any kind of resistance training during an extended fast. I think during an intermittent fast, it's fine, but, um, there are obviously some exceptions and you're going to find some people out there who are mutants and who are genetic freaks who can lift weights during an extended fast and still do just fine and, and reap rewards from that. But I think for the, the average person, probably better to, to avoid that. But typically people seem to be okay doing steady state cardio during extended fast. So if you're going to go for a jog or a run, um, assuming it's not anything too intense, like you're not going to be doing hill sprints or anything like that, or HIIT training, typically people can tolerate that okay. Um, and then obviously something like yoga, which is, yes, it can be difficult, but it isn't as um, taxing on the muscles of your body that those types of exercises tend to be okay as well. And then just a few other things I want to note. Um, typically the first 24 hours of a fast are the hardest because your body is shifting from using glucose as its main source of energy to ketones as its main source of energy. And again, if you don't have a lot of metabolic flexibility, cause you haven't done this a lot in the past, that transition is going to be very uncomfortable on your body. And it's when you're going to be tested the most, but if you can get past that 24 hour mark, typically the fast actually becomes easier day two, day three, if you're even doing like a, a longer fast than that, the, the days following that first day, ten, you tend to not even be that hungry. Usually I see Mike nodding his head. Some people might disagree. 
um, for myself, I found that the first day is, is typically the hardest, especially if you haven't had the experience of fasting. And then um, it's really important to have electrolytes while fasting. So you're going to want to either take uh, vitamins and minerals, specifically minerals are going to be your electrolytes. Um, or what I do is I take Celtic sea salt, I put it in my water and Celtic sea salt has pretty much all of the the essential minerals and more that you need in order for your body to continue the, the, the important biochemical functions that it needs to get good rest and regulate the different systems in the body and the nervous system. And then um, the last thing too, yeah, is just to reiterate what Mike said, uh, fasting isn't going to be for everyone. Certain people have certain health conditions or eating disorders. Um, I also know that fasting can be riskier for women than it is for men. So obviously like I'm not going to say that everyone should do this and try this. You got to be careful, do your research, make sure you know what you're getting into uh, before endeavoring down this road. Yeah. You're a lot more knowledgeable on fasting than I am, which is why whenever I talk about fasting, I'm always going to say, do your research and take what I say with a grain of salt. Everything I'm speaking of is from experience. Um, and my experience is subjective and it's not going to apply to every human being because this, this consciousness that we experience in each of these meat suits are vastly different and I have no idea what anyone else is going through. But the one thing I want to talk about lately is this concept of grounding and what it even means. Some people hear the term grounding and it means, oh, it means going out into nature, putting your feet on the ground, connecting to nature. Yes, that that's one part of it. But I think there's two different definitions of grounding. That's one of them. The second one being this idea of Finding a mindfulness practice that allows you to connect to your body, to feel grounded in your body. Because one thing I have struggled with throughout my entire life is being too in my head. Whenever there's a situation that happens, I'm trying to make sense of it. Um, if I'm feeling a certain emotion, I'm thinking about it constantly, just like questioning, like why am I? I mean, it is good to question why you feel certain emotions if you don't know the source. We've talked about this many times where you should keep asking why until you can't ask why anymore if you don't know why you're experiencing a certain emotion. If you know why you are why you are experiencing an emotion and you're just like, okay, so for example, let's say it's social, like let's say it's social anxiety and you're, you're in a social situation and you just get anxiety and it's just like, if there's no immediate reason, you might be getting anxiety because maybe there's one person in the group that is that's having a lot of anxiety maybe you are picking up on that that's something that happens to me sometimes and like i'll actually ask the person are you okay and they're, they're, they'll say no i'm like i'm feeling kind of weird so like sometimes that happens to me sometimes the anxiety that you have isn't yours not just it, it could be something you're picking up from your environment um so i i wouldn't be too careful to dismiss just anxiety that you experience but if you're experiencing anxiety in a situation, let's say it's, you know, you're just at home, you're worrying about being able to pay bills or you're worrying about, you know, a family member potentially like not being healthy or, you, you know, um, and you're just and you're aware of the fact that you're experiencing this and you actively know that it's not healthy to be thinking like this or to be feeling this. That's when this practice of grounding is very great in aiding you to reprogram yourself. So if you recently, I've been experiencing a lot of negative emotions and anxiety just due to certain things that have been happening in my life. And I have found that using grounding practices like, you know, focusing on your breath, for me, it's feeling my feet on the ground so that I can get out of my head and connect to my body really helps me go through these experiences because generally the only way out is through if you're experiencing social anxiety, if you're experiencing anxiety in general, and you're a person that like goes through that experience a lot, you have to go through the experience, but you have to go through it with awareness and you have to go through it with understanding. You have to know why you're, why you're having that social anxiety in the first place. You need to fully understand why you're having it. And then you also, you need to know how it feels. And then you need to also understand that that's not what you want. So if you have all those three conceptual understandings, then you can start practicing grounding so that it's easier to go through these experiences, you know, because I know we, I know we had Jason Brown on the podcast who did say that, 
you know, you can generally snap out of these things if you have a certain insight and you can rewire your brain instantly. And I think there is definitely some truth to that. But for the people who have trouble shifting their mindset very quickly, um, I think it's probably more appropriate to go through these experiences multiple times and with awareness and push through the adversity by probably the first few times, not through mindfulness, but just through fully getting consumed by it and experiencing what is happening in your body. But sometimes it's you realize you don't need to be feeling this. This really has no place in my life. So grounding yourself and connecting yourself to your body is the thing that's going to allow the negative emotions to consume you and allow you to get through the experience as fast as possible. Because the point when you're having, when you're going through an experience that you don't want is not to think about, think your way out of it. Like there, you can't think your way out of these things because you're just going to repress it. You're, you're avoiding it. You're not confronting it. The point is to confront. And in order to confront, you need to be in your body and not in your head. So one of the big insights I've learned lately is that when I'm going through an experience, it's not just it's not just, okay, I'm going to like focus on my breath. I'm going to like think about something else. I, I generally don't distract myself anymore, but sometimes I'll like start thinking of something else and I won't even realize it. And the second I do that, I, I perform some grounding practice. So for me, it's feeling my feet on the ground. And as soon as that happens and I can, I can just feel the shift. It's almost like I energetically feel myself centered in my head and it goes down into my feet and then kind of like up back into my body. And then I feel myself in my body again. Um, and it, when that happens, then I can go through the experience and it's really, it's not that bad. So I think what I've learned is, is as long as you can get yourself out of your head and stop trying to think your way through a situation then it's going to be a lot easier to go through that experience. And when you go through that experience again, it's going to be easier. You're going to be more aware. You're going to know what it feels like. And you're going to be more apt to perform that grounding practice again. And again, you know, meditation is one of those things that allows us to strengthen awareness. But we still need to practice mindfulness in daily life when we're not just sitting still. Walking meditations can help with this. I know there's a lot of people who are very internal, who are very introverted like myself. And it's a lot easier for them to sit with themselves and sit in silence. But sometimes going out into nature and just looking around and being aware of your environment is a little bit more difficult. So we need to do a more extroverted form of meditation, like a walking meditation or just like mindfulness, just being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what happens in your body, not just when you're sitting down. So these are just some things that have really helped me lately and have allowed me to like push through negative experiences with, with way more awareness and honestly with way more acceptance because now that I have practices that I have that I'm confident will help me through these negative emotions, it's a lot easier to go through them and I'm more confident in myself and not really worrying about a negative situation. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to push through it. If it happens, I'm going to figure it out because I have these practices that I've that I've used that have actively helped me and contrasting to when I didn't have these practices are helping me grow more. So Santi, I'm curious, do you use any of these practices when you go through negative emotions have and which ones do you use and what type of like experiences and stories do you have to tell everyone? Yeah, grounding is super important. It's uh I think it's a vital aspect of anyone's repertoire of skills if they are trying to become more self-aware and trying to gain a greater level of mastery over their mind and their emotions and to navigate life with a greater level of ease and grace. And so the typical, like you mentioned at the beginning, the very like standard form of grounding when people talk about it colloquially um, in spiritual circles or even just in health and wellness circles is this idea of getting outdoors in nature and getting you know, skin on skin, getting your skin in contact with nature. So typically that's walking barefoot 
Uh, typically, that would be ideally on something that is of something that has a negative charge to it, like negative ions. So um, soil, grass, uh, sand, these are all examples. So if you want to walk barefoot at a park or on a hiking trail, uh, walking barefoot at the beach, these are all things where you'll get that negative charge of ions from the earth, which helps to balance yourself out. And there's actually scientific research that has shown that grounding can help reduce systemic inflammation, um, can help to improve just your overall sense of well-being and reduce anxiety and stress, uh, just to name a few of the benefits. In addition to this, I was talking to Mike before the podcast, there are also grounding mats that you can buy. The high quality ones that seem to actually move the needle tend to be a little bit more expensive, anywhere from $800 to $1,200. But I don't have one personally. I've never tried it. But from people I've talked to and some reviews that I've read online, they seem to be beneficial. Obviously, my take on it is always like the natural version of it is probably always the most effective and the best. So if you can try to do it um, out in nature, that's, that's ideal. But for someone like myself, I live in an apartment, I live in a city. It's a little bit harder for me to make the time to do it as often as I'd like. Unfortunately, it's something I'd like to eventually incorporate into more of a daily routine. But, um, when I was doing it more often back when I was living in California, I did notice benefits to doing so. I, I would ground at least weekly at one point in time. Um, unfortunately it's just not a part of my regular routine these days, but there are other things you can do to ground yourself. In, in, in other words, to get out of your head and into your body more. There are other things that you can do to do that. So just to name um, a short list that I compiled here, conscious breathing is really good. So just paying attention to your breath throughout the day at different points. Maybe you're driving in your car and you're at a stoplight. That would be a great example of when you can practice conscious breathing. Maybe you're doing the dishes. Maybe you're going on a walk. The cool thing about conscious breathing is you can do it in literally any situation, regardless of the circumstances. And it's really just a matter of nasal breathing, breathing through your nose repeatedly, ideally with shorter inhales and longer exhales tends to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and bring you into a more relaxed state. And just paying attention to what that sensation feels like in your body as you're breathing can be a very good practice for grounding. It's something that I use every single day. There's also bioenergetics. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but you can look into the work of um, Paul Cech, Elliot Hulse. Uh, you can look at bio, just Google bioenergetics. You'll find a bunch of things in there that you can do. Oftentimes, these bioenergetic exercises involve some form of breath work incorporated into a posture or a movement. Um, you can also try shaking, which is a form of bioenergetics where you literally just stand there and shake your body out, kind of similar to what dogs do. You, know, you ever see a dog when they wake up in the morning or they're walking, they're walking around, sometimes they'll just start shaking. We as humans, um, when we shake, we help to kind of basically shake off anxious energy. I know this sounds kind of woo-woo, but I found that like shaking helps me to kind of ground, helps me to get into my body. Um, meditation, obviously, it helps with grounding. Martial arts, yoga, qigong. There's a lot of different practices you can do that are body-based practices, oftentimes they incorporate the breath as well to help you to ground and to no longer be in your head. And when you start to ground and get more into your body, you can become more aware of the sensations in your body so that they no longer run you subconsciously. And once you start to notice, oh, okay, this is what anxiety feels like. It's a tightness in my chest. It's uh, for some people, it's like their throat feels like it's closing up a little bit. For other people, it's more of the, the get um, flustered, they start sweating, um, you know, there maybe parts of their body are shaking involuntarily. Um, so you can now become aware when you practice grounding of what these sensations feel like in your body. And the goal is not to try to suppress them or resist them. Typically when we experience these, what we call negative emotions, really they're just emotions. But when we experience what most people would characterize as negative emotions, it's typically a signal that we are being triggered by something from our subconscious due to some past event or experience where we didn't process the experience fully. Um, and so now it is running us in a way that is detrimental to our well-being. And so you could think of these times when we get triggered, these times when we start to feel anxiety, these times when we start to feel stress, when we're in that fight or flight response, when we start to get into our heads as really an opportunity to show us that, hey, there is 
there are these underlying sort of energies and emotions that are running you subconsciously that are probably causing you to self-sabotage, that are probably taking you out of alignment with your purpose and with the full abundance that you really are. And instead of resisting it and, and thinking to yourself, well, why is it that I'm experiencing this? I don't like the feeling. It's actually an opportunity for you to let it go and process it and release it so that it no longer runs you subconsciously. So when you're triggered, you can think of it as like you have all this negative energy and low vibration energy and trauma energy stored within your body. Something external, usually something external triggers us. All of a sudden that stuff comes to the surface. Now you're conscious of it. If you're able to do these grounding exercises, you'll become aware of it. And that opportunity is then do I push it back down where it's just going to continue to run me subconsciously and come back in in the future? Or am I going to do the practices necessary to process it fully, experience it fully without identifying with it and letting it go? And then once you let it go, now you have less trauma running you. It's actually a win. So every time you get triggered or you're feeling stressed, it's actually a really, really pivotal moment in which you can process those negative emotions in a way so that way they no longer have as much um, control over you and they don't have as much of a charge on you in the future. This isn't a one and done. It's not like you get triggered once, you surrender it, you let it go, and then everything's perfect. It's gonna, it's a process, a recurring process over time, but you'll find that the more that you're able to become aware of the emotions when they arise, not identify with them, not suppress them, and use tools to let them go. And really all that is is sitting with it without identifying with it. What we talk about many times is creating this space between stimulus and response. It's realizing that you are not those emotions. You're just observing them. You're the observer of them. And if you just sit with it within that context and within that frame, you'll realize that they're temporary. And what happens is people try to like stuff it down. They're like, oh, let me give me, give me alcohol, give me something to make me take me away from this. What you're basically suppressing it. And so you're not processing it. If you can just sit with it and breathe through it and maybe do some of these other grounding practices that we've mentioned so far without trying to resist it you'll notice that it's temporary. Eventually it goes away. And when it goes away, that's a form of letting go and surrendering. And if you want to get one step further on the spiritual path, if you believe in a higher power, David Hawkins, who is one of the people who essentially, I don't know if he necessarily came up with it, but he's very, very well known for his uh, work that he's done around surrendering and letting go. He says that a part of the process is not just what I said, which is being aware with it, being aware of it, sitting through it while observing it so that it passes, but also at the very end, setting an intention to surrender that energy to a higher power. And, and the outcome of that to a higher power is what he recommends. Now, some people aren't going to believe in that, but that's his sort of process. And that's the process that I follow as well. And when we do that, it's painful and it can be uncomfortable and it can be challenging in the moment. But if we can move through it, we'll realize, hey, this actually isn't that bad. This experience really isn't that bad. It's a temporary emotion that isn't who I actually am at my core. It doesn't represent anything to do with my self-worth or my worthiness of love or these positive states or of acceptance. It's simply an emotion that is arising within my field of consciousness that is causing me to not feel good, um, but but ultimately I can I can process and heal that so that it no longer runs me and then eventually get to a place where you won't get triggered as often and you won't um, have as much trauma running you. And, and ideally you get to a point to where you, maybe you, you rarely experience it at all, or, you know, maybe there's certain things that used to trigger you that never end up triggering you again, because you've done, you've done the inner work to fully heal it. And this is a process that can take, you know, for some people they'll have, you know, these, these very, very profound moments of healing um, for other people, it's, it's more of a process. And like I mentioned before, certain triggers and certain aspects of your consciousness that are still um, kind of divided still, where there's still some trauma energy there, certain aspects can be healed very quickly. Certain aspects will take a long time and there's more of a process to it, but it's just this, this, this idea that all emotions are valid. Our emotions aren't who we are. Don't resist the emotions when they arise and learn to be with them without identifying with them so that way we can process them and let them go. I think that is really the main takeaway from this. And, you know, it's interesting. One more thing I want to touch on that's kind of kind of a, a side note to all of this is back when I was starting this journey 
a little over six years ago, I had a lot of trauma. I had really bad social anxiety. I had a hard time just looking someone in the eye and having a normal conversation. I had suicidal depression, was still on antidepressants when I started this journey six years ago. Um, and what I'm going to say is, I'm not saying people should <laughs> appreciate or have gratitude for being in that place, but um, the the moments of, of where I've had like profound somatic releases and in, in healing and in these processing of trauma that have been very, very intense somatic experiences for me. Um, the most cathartic ones have been the ones that were earlier on because that's where there's the most trauma to release. Now at this part in my journey, when I have, I've had some releases this year, but they're just not as intense and cathartic as they used to be because there isn't as much trauma for me to let go of. I'm a lot more healed than I used to be. And so in a way I kind of miss, it sounds kind of funny. Like I kind of miss having more trauma because the releases associated with letting go of it were just had more of a, more of a, like a healing feeling. And there was more of a contrast to make it feel more um, like euphoric when I would let it go. Whereas now it's like, there just isn't as much to let go of. So I'm never going to have those same like massive releases that I used to, which is kind of, it's bittersweet is what I'll say. So just a side tangent. Yeah. So what, what I, what I will say is, you know, I used to have a lot of trauma. I, I didn't used to have suicidal depression. I used to have suicidal thoughts occasionally, but I don't think it was as bad as yours. So just again, you know, I'm going to, take a moment to tell you that like you've been through a lot and you, and you always tell our guests this, but I'm telling you this, but um, I'm very grateful that you pushed through all of those experiences because it led you to be an amazing person. And I know that you're grateful for all those things. Um, not just because you experienced this amazing cathartic release, but now you have contrast, you know, you, you know what you didn't want and now you are what you do want and you put a shit ton of work into it and it was so worth it because it, it was, you know, the, the, the best view is generally always achieved after the, the hardest mountain that you climb. And I butchered that, but you get the general gist. Um, and what I want to say is b before we wrap this up is that telling yourself a mantra while you're grounding is another way that can help you get through difficult experiences. So for me, you know, this too shall pass is, is a really good one. There, there, there's many amazing quotes that you can tell yourself when you're going through these experiences. Like, you know, like you said about, you know, the fact that you're the observer and these are not my emotions. You can tell yourself that it's just like, it's a mantra that kind of like gets you into this headspace. But the second you think too much, like you're trying to like tell yourself, oh, I'm the observer, blah, blah, blah. And you, you start telling yourself a story. That's when you're not grounded anymore. But so I do Vedic meditation. Uh, hopefully we'll get my Vedic meditation teacher on this podcast eventually. But it the whole idea is that when you're meditating, you're, this mantra is just in the background. It's like it's this thing that's utilizing your, your, the cognitive function that is thought – so that like these stray thoughts are less likely to just come up and take over um, and like get you in your head and get you out of your body. So sometimes if you force yourself to think a certain thought and you do it repetitively over and over again, it can actually reduce the likelihood that you do go down a thought rabbit hole when you're going through negative emotions. So I would, ex I would experiment. I suggest experimenting with telling yourself a certain mantra that makes you feel better that has a lot of truth to it and and is repetitive enough that doesn't allow you to start thinking too much while you're grounding yourself by feeling your feet or or focusing on your breath. Um I and like you said Santi, I used I literally used to be scared to sit in coffee shops. I used to be scared to sit in coffee shops. That's how bad my social anxiety was. And I had to force myself to just go and do it. It sounds so ridiculous and dumb, but that's what I was experiencing. Now I just don't care. Now I'm like very free because I've, I've, I've sit in like hundreds of coffee shops at this point. And it's like, it's that, it's that exposure therapy, telling yourself a mantra and grounding yourself and going through that experience many times to the point where it just doesn't trigger you. It doesn't bother you anymore. It's, it's about, re it's about repetition and consistency. Like that, that's how we're going to get through these things. But ultimately, the bad experiences are going to give us contrast to experience the good experiences. Um, 
when we eventually get um, uh, Tasha's on this podcast, one of his really good quotes was, the good times are a celebration of how we managed to get through the bad times, right? So the reason why we're doing all of these these habits and routines, really the, the big picture is so that we can handle ourselves when life tests us. Tests us. That's why we cold shower. That's why we meditate. That's why we do all these things. Yeah, it helps us feel better overall. But I argue the most important thing in this life is to learn to push through adversity and to push through the negative experiences. And when you're feeling good, if you choose your own adversity and continue to not get comfortable and and learn to be uncomfortable in the uncomfortable, then when life tests you with a family death or something crazy that happens, you're more likely to get through it. It's, it's kind of ironic and paradoxical in a sense because um... – you know, I was talking about earlier, like through denying the body, like through fasting and celibacy and not drinking alcohol and not giving into short term pleasure is a way for us to access higher states of consciousness and awareness. And I think a part of what's happening there is that we're moving away from the material and the physical and the, the world of matter and, and turning more to energy. And so whenever we deny our bodies, we're moving away from that more material matter like realm into more of an energetic state, which allows us to tap into the quantum field and source and God and whatever you want to call it. That's at least kind of my theory. But at the same time, it's interesting because we also talked about grounding, which is more about actually going into your body, not through ways where we're trying to get that dopamine spike, but being aware of what's going on inside of it. So it's kind of interesting that on the spiritual path, in a way, we're trying to kind of um, not deny our bodies. And maybe that's not the right way of describing it, but we're trying to move away from the, the short-term gratification of our bodily sensations in order to grow spiritually, but we also need to turn into our bodies to be aware of the sensations that are arising from within it in order to feel more grounded and to feel more connected and more present. So it's just kind of a little bit of a paradox there. And so I'll let you share your quote and I will finish with mine. Sounds good. Awesome insight. All right. So this quote is, mindfulness is not the absence of difficult emotions. It is the ability to remain fully present and compassionate with ourselves as we navigate through them. And my quote is from G.I. Gurdjieff. It is only by grounding our awareness in the living, living sensation of our bodies that the air quotes, I am, our real presence can awaken. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.